Exclusively on CBS All Access, a legend returns. I have a mission. There's not a hell of a chance for somebody to stop me. Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard. Now streaming only on CBS All Access. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton from Deadline Hollywood. And I'm Jeff Boucher from Deadline. And we'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Star Trek Picard podcast. Clearly, episode two, Maps and Legends, dropped earlier this morning. And I'm sure many of you have already watched it on CBS All Access. I will tell you, if you have not watched it on CBS All Access already, you might want to come back to us a little later because this is going to be a spoiler galore zone. Now... We are have uh, for episode one. We chatted with Sir Patrick Stewart. He will be joining us later in our podcast series. But today we have some amazing guests. We sure do. We have Alex Kurtzman, who's the executive producer of the show. We have Kirsten Beyer, who is the co-creator of the show and supervising producer. And we also have Hannah Lee Culpepper, who directed the first two episodes. Three episodes, actually. Three episodes, exactly. And is an executive producer on them. Now, of course, the Michael Chabon uh, showrun uh, series is, uh, well... You know what it is. It's the return of Captain Jean-Luc Admiral, Jean-Luc Picard. But this second episode is really where we start to see some of the seeds that were planted in the pilot. They start to flourish. Yeah, and we also uncloak some Romulans. People have such uh, unique and specific emotional relationships to Star Trek. And most of it is because of their childhood and what it meant to them as children. And it, it grew with them. They grew with it. And all the different iterations that came after, it's, it's, you know, how many other franchises can you say have been around for that long that have iterated the way that it has? So people have had it their whole lives. And that means they're going to be very attached to the version that they grew up with, right? So it's... Very, it's challenging 20, 30 years later to say we're going to do another thing, um, which we did, uh, you know, obviously in the 2009 movie and now we're doing it again with, with Picard. Um, I think you, I don't know. I think we all look, look at each other and we have lots and lots of conversations about what we think it meant to us. And we put out a lot of feeler. I read a lot of things. Uh, I read pretty much everything that gets written about Trek. I try to particularly the, the opinion pieces. And that will tell me, okay, you know what? I think that there's a certain spirit that Picard embodies. And we have to make sure that whatever we do, no matter how much we deviate from what, what seems familiar, that spirit is very intact. I feel like episode two is still setting the stage. We're still finding out what the fuck is about to happen here, right? And I think for a lot of us, because we know from what's been let out, we're like, okay, when are they showing up? Like, who, like, what's going on? We've seen data in a drawer. You know, like we've seen, like, when, when are they coming? Who's coming? Like, come on, dun, 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 you know? Um, but how, how is that, without giving away spoilers for our future episodes, because we're going to do all of those podcasts, um, how is that for you guys, both visually and narratively, Bringing, getting those wheels in motion, getting the train a little faster, a little further along. Well, I think in terms of the narrative, one of the big challenges right now is the various points of view we really need to establish and the clear, how to give the most clear version of what it is they're going to be struggling with. And then, um, 
how they begin to intertwine with each other. So uh, it's a complicated story that we're telling. And it really requires clarity of understanding as we as we continue to move forward. You want the intensity, you want the energy, you want the sense of things building. Um, but you also really do need to know where you started and, and be very clear about your foundation uh, to really enjoy it, I think, as you go forward. You know, this in, in episode one, we saw the, 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 you know, CNN gotcha interview. Mm. Um, and here we move, uh, we move into Starfleet. And it's, it's, I mean, there's clearly, there's the meeting where, where Picard tries to get his gig back and that kind of goes nowhere fast. Right. Um, and then you learn about alliances within alliances, uh, mm-hmm. Vulcans and Romulans, et cetera, et cetera, and cl- are clearly leaning in towards the future. But it, it you know, Starfleet has always been presented as a problem, in my view, in the Trek universe, because it's an institution of bureaucracy. And various captains, specifically Picard, have pushed against that. They've embraced the ideals, but like anything, the, real, the realism is the people on the 10th floor, are, are they're, they're lifers, and that's their gig. And I wanted to know from you guys, and, and Jeff, I know you and I have talked about this, is how do you bring that in? Because that mythology is laced with landmines. Well, uh, uh, the first thing I'll do is correct something, which is that it's not actually Vulcans and Romulans. They're all Romulans. Mm. So if you look at the end of the second episode, there's reference to the fact that Nerissa has had her ears altered, which is actually, there's precedent for that in canon. So they've made themselves look like Vulcans in Starfleet, but in fact, they are Romulans. And that that is correct. I mean, I'm saying, but as we watch it, we see, we see what we think is an, an alliance. Oh, an alliance. Yes, because yes. You, because from the point of view of, I guess Picard and others, they think, oh, I'm dealing with Vulcans. I'm doing, you know. Yeah, and I'm and look, the we man, we were sitting in this very room where we're where we're recording this podcast, debating how we were going to represent the Federation and having really wild, fiery debates about that. You know, do we say that the Federation's bad? Do we say? And ultimately, I think we all came to the conclusion that. There, there's two there's two things, and I guess this does speak to the mythology question that you're asking. On the one hand, the Federation was put in a truly horrible spot where they had to, to choose the lesser of two evils, right? So that's what happened after the attack on Mars. Can I tell you what that reminds me of? Sure. It totally reminds me of America. It's America's inglorious exit from Vietnam. It is like there's or, one helicopter, and if you're not on it, and, and we'll relocate a bunch of you to San Diego, but otherwise, yeah. sorry. Or years later, our inglorious exit from the Middle East. And or our, Katrina. Or, or Katrina. Or, there's yeah. a lot of uh, different yes. things you could compare it to. Yes, and that, that was all very textual in our conversations. But the idea that there – there, I, I actually think it's very interesting when Clancy says – you know, she, Picard says, we don't, this, the Federation does not get to decide who lives or dies. And she says, yes, we do. We absolutely do. And that's not really a – She's not saying something wicked there. She's saying we have to make a horrible choice because the alternative was all of the member states, member uh, planets were going to pull out of the Federation. And yeah. then there is no Federation. So so on the one hand, while I think we're agreeing with Picard and we're at an emotional level, if you're really looking at the you know horrible uh, choices that, that require democracy to survive, she's not wrong. And that's also one of the things I think about, about, about Jean-Luc that comes out of this too, which is, is – for all the, the glory we give to him and all the respect we give for him, he can sometimes be a stubborn hard ass who just can't see the trees for the forest. Right. And, and, and uh, all the characters around him, Laris, and they're all saying like, oh, really? It, it, because it was important to you, it must be important to the whole galaxy. There is an ego there. And that was also something we talked about early on that Patrick wanted to play. He said, he, there's a lot of hubris to Picard. We need to knock him down a couple pegs in order to build him back up. One of the things that's really interesting is the, um, 
historically, Roddenberry, I, I remember Nicholas Meyer talking about uh, a confrontation that he had with uh, Gene Roddenberry about mm -hmm. the way that Starfleet was portrayed in Star Trek VI because yeah. uh, uh, some Klingons walk by and you see two crew members and they look at each other and like, God, can you believe the way they smell? Right. Or I can't believe we're eating dinner with them. And, and Roddenberry said, you know, the vision is that we've gone beyond that mm -hmm. in, in Starflight. It's egalitarian. It's, it's enlightened. It's, it's the best of us. It's, it's more NASA than it is Congress. Um, that's a very good analogy. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of tug and, 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 and Meyer stuck to his guns. He later said that he regretted the way he did it after Gene's death, you know, which I thought was very candid of him to, to, to say that. But because of that, polarized view of what Starfleet, what the beginning point of it is. Uh, did, is that part of the, the raging conversations that you had with? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you can't make a choice about the Federation to say, oh, actually, it's not corrupt and bad. I mean, if you do that, you're, I think, fundamentally destroying the essence of what Star Trek is. But I think you can say it's complicated and, 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 um, uh, diplomacy is complicated and nation building is complicated and, and, and all the allegories in metaphors that Star Trek is, uh, the, uh, many of which you've already mentioned, uh, it's, it's really, really difficult to, to keep that kind of peace. And that's great drama. I, I think my, and I've heard that same story. Nick told me that story and I've heard that same story from other people who were on Next Gen who early on were told by Roddenberry that there was never going to be conflict. I mean, this is, this is now f famous stuff. Everybody knows this. And it's impossible to truly create the kind of drama required to evolve Star Trek if you stick to that. But see, that's again to come back to that notion of art as a static thing and art as an evolving thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we all pay respect to Gene clearly because he was the creator, but you, you know, at when, when it goes out into the world, it, it, belongs to the world and the world sees it in different ways it's like you know that that everybody talks about is, is science fiction really about people in spaceships or is it really about crossing the bridge at selma like what's really are we talking about here and clearly picard is laying a lot of those seeds for the world we're in today and the way things work and i mean we the discussion about starfleet can be a discussion about nato or the pentagon on any day but to that one of the things about it is the way this thing looks is amazing you did an amazing job directing. Thank you. Thank you. And, and one of the things that struck me is looking at this second episode, which really takes us, because there's now five stories, in my opinion, happening and kind of a sixth one in a way. But we see intergalactic conflict. We see, we see the abandoned Borg cube. We see the insides of that. We're seeing different species and races. And we're seeing also this, 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 uh, for lack of a better, Joshua Tree retreat uh, trailer. <laughs> um, where, where someone clearly is pot still legal <laughs> centuries from now. Can you give us a sense of putting all those elements together and, and, and finding that visual language? Mm -hmm. Basically, I just always kind of follow what's happening with Picard. And so with episode one, um, we start off slower. Which we should, uh, if people don't know, you, you, you directed. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. The first three. The yes. first three episodes. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, we, he's feeling the weight of the guilt of Data's death, of what happened with Romulans and all the, the, the rescue, the, you know, putting in his, um, you know, threatening to resign and them taking it up on it. He's kind of lost his, his cause. And so we played around with 
cameras that were more static, you know, and slower moving. And once he gets, once he meets Dodge and her deaf and, and is, well, actually we started once he had the gotcha interview and his world was shaking up. And that's when we went to a handheld camera look. Um, and the pacing gets faster as he gets his cause and he has a mission. He has a reason to be and, and, you know, the reason it um, and it takes off more and two as he now he's on the search and trying to you know put all the pieces together and figure out who is who who she was and how can I find her sister this twin so I just always just kind of get motivated by what's happening with my characters as I make the decision on how I'm gonna move the camera around and Do you, fo- you, mm-hmm. you mentioned like you talked about Picard but because mm-hmm. there's there's so many other moving pieces in this Mm-hmm. As a as a as a director, mm-hmm. do you? Sh- I'm t- this is a terrible cliche to use to a director. Do you shift focus in terms of focusing on character, or is it always Picard kind of as the as the mm-hmm. gravity? I kind of let Picard be the gravity. We definitely played around a little bit as far as when we're in space. I wanted everything on Earth to feel very grounded, but when you're on the cube, it could feel a little more floaty. Um, also, just color-wise, very warm when we're in on Earth, when we're in um, Picard's world, but when you go to the Borg ship, we went a little bit with neutral colors, cooler. Lots um, of blues, it felt like. Lots of blues. Yeah, I mean, I was I was kind of trying to stay away from blues and purples because that's kind of the color palette of Discovery, and I wanted our show oh. to feel and look different. So we were doing more like neutral whites and um, some green because of the Romulans. Um, I think ultimately some blue did get into it. Yeah. This is a 10 episode series. We're on episode two. A lot of ground to cover, clearly, right? And of course, you guys are renewed now, so even more ground, more space to cover. But getting there, where was where was the sense in this episode where you felt like, yeah, we're getting there? Mm -hmm. This is this uh, because you know I always envision the creative process. You've got the whiteboard up months beforehand, maybe years beforehand, working on these uh, these uh, notions. You start filming. You put one episode behind you. Everyone's like, okay, boom, pilot, got it. It works. You know, it works. Well, should we? talk about how the first two became first three because that's sort of related to what you're saying because um you know they're writing as we're shooting but um i think i was in the midst i was almost done with my cut of episodes one and two when they decided that they wanted to um expand it i think it was partially was as you were going down the season you realized that a lot of the information that was coming later they felt was better served coming earlier you know, to lay in more groundwork. And um, that's one reason why I ended up directing the first three. Yeah, we, as you say, it's a complicated plot. Um, and um, the, the, I think when you have a complicated plot, one of the real weird magic trick goals is how do you present all of that information without having it feel like exposition, having it be presented through character. And what we started feeling was that there was too much for two episodes. It would have actually felt not only rushed, but so top heavy. It's like scoops on an that, ice cream cone. Yes. You, that it would have been too much to process. And we decided that there were actually really natural breaks in the story where it felt like we could expand the story and, 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 and stop down and take time to add some scenes that I'll give you a great example. We had not shown as we see at the top of episode two, the attack on Mars, right? They all talked about the attack on Mars. You saw all the emotional and political implications of the attack on Mars, but you never saw it. 
And one day after we had, <laughs> the, the trains had already left the station, we went, oh my God, you have to see the attack. Otherwise, if you don't see and feel how scary that was, you're actually going to be judging the Federation. You're going to be saying, well, they're terrible because it's conceptual. It's theoretical until you feel it, right? Once you feel it, you go, that was terrible. That should never happen again. And now I understand why there's a ban on synths. I may not agree with it, but I understand why. Those kinds of things are so important. And it, it adds to, I mean, I feel also too, what can commonly, I mean, not as much nowadays, but it's still a little bit of fear is you see uh, uh, a, uh, a franchise move, say, from a television show to the big screen and you see the budgets jack up and it's like, wow, like suddenly like there's 14 cruisers coming through space and then you see it again on TV and there's like they're sitting in one ship and it's kind of this. And it felt like it, it felt to me like you guys were distinctly saying, hey, hey, we're scaling up. Like we just want you to know, we're telling you, we're we're as 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 you, you so eloquently said, Alex. We're telling you this thing. You need to see it because we can't just talk about it. But we're also showing you, like this is this is the real deal. And for you guys, this is this is kind of a half. It's a tweener between film and television, for sure. really, because you have the best of both worlds. You have the scale and uh, the visual impact of cinema, but you also have the the relationship and the persistence. We always said we wanted to balance the epic with the intimate. Mm. with the show ah. i think it really works and you know i i love the the scene with picard at starfleet uh i love uh the unspoken parts of it the 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 the, the his reaction when he walks in and mm-hmm. checks oh, out when he goes through security yeah, yeah. yeah. oh here i am yeah. at nordstrom's right. Right. <laughs> you know? and, and you can just sense his sort of like uh, and um and when the conversation flips and she's like are you kidding me mm-hmm. uh, and it really, really, uh, I really, really felt it. it it's, I heard it and, and took it in, but I actually felt it. I felt for him. Uh, and it, that's when I really knew this, the series was going to really take off. You can turn around and call that cab to take you right back where you came from. It just wants to talk. There isn't anything you could say that I want to hear. Secret Romulan assassins are operating on Earth. Is that the 86? And let's, let's also talk about it here. I mean, because we're spending a lot. I mean, clearly it's called Picard. So, of course, we're going to talk about Patrick and his character a lot. But, you know, where we're starting to see layers here of of mischief and misconduct and, and intrigue, the Romulans, the reintroduction of the Borg, which is kind of like, I mean, honestly, if you guys want to set scale with the Mars attack, bringing the Borg back kind of says we're starting here. I mean, look, I think those two, I call them two and a half hours of television. Mm-hmm. I think that's some of the best television ever made, right? And and maybe maybe it is futile to resist, but I will not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel that those elements are really, I mean this with all respect is what I'm trying to say. Patrick Stewart is a man who has not played this role for almost 20 years, since 2002 in Nemesis, I mm-hmm. guess, right? Mm-hmm. He's an older person. Mm-hmm. And you're making a show with an older person. Patrick is, I mean, I'm, I'm quite impressed with the amount of running and jumping mm-hmm. that is happening as it is, right? <laughs> so clearly you need to have different, different pillars here to have things happen around. And the Romulan story on all those aspects seems to play that out. Mm-hmm. Romulan killer police. 
I'm in. <laughs> There's something more secret than the Tao Shirai? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Double secret. I know, double secrets. Double I know. I, I like the... Two-step authentication. Was it, was it difficult or a challenge with the portrayal uh, that Patrick does early on? Because he's coming out of this fog. He's, he's got rust. He's not sure what's going on. And he, he doesn't seem as vital. Mm-hmm. And then... As, as it goes along, he starts becoming Picard again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's tough to start a series with your lead not looking at mm-hmm. his most dynamic. Was mm-hmm. that something that, that uh, talked about? Yeah, we actually did talk about it. And we actually, um, the first cut, thought he looked a little too down and yeah. a little too grumpy. And so we brought it we brought it back a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. I remember pausing like, man, I, 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 you know, and I realized it was just a the arc of the character but at first you know you don't know as a fan you're like oh wow he doesn't look so great yeah i mean look this is to pack patrick's infinite credit he, the first thing he said was i want everybody to see the lines on my face he yeah. wasn't he wasn't looking to be glamorous and beautiful he yeah. wanted to be authentic and as Hanali said we there was a lot of work in editing about how far we could move the line there was a scene that we ended up cutting actually where laris picard so Picard is, you know, out in the fields with number one and Laris, uh, the, the introduction of Laris, he's looking sort of through a, like a little eyeglass around his vineyard and he's surveying it and he sees that the field workers who are picking the grapes are making fun of Laris's ears. Oh. And they're kind of doing this, you know, very racist, uh, like, and she sees it and she kind of turns a blind eye and he walks right over to them and just takes the guy apart. Oh, that's interesting. And he yells and screams at him and he says, if it ever happened, if I ever see that again, you're gone. So he's Gene Roddenberry. Right. Well, (laughs) exactly. And the funny thing was as much as it was a really wonderful idea and conceit that Picard would stand up for Laris, it was too early in the introduction to have him be that angry. It was almost jarring. Get off was, my that scene, yeah. was that yeah. scene, just, just for, for, for timeline, was that scene after the, uh, the interview? Yes, before. Right Basically, yeah, we okay. see him walk in the yeah. field and a dog goes running off. Oh. The dog went running off and that's when he yeah. So it would be one of the very back. first impressions. Yes, yes, exactly. And it was, as a very first impression, it was, it was too much. Yeah. And Patrick really fought for it. We shot it. And then he really fought for it again. And I said, I think we need to sit down together and watch it. Ah. And he's watched and he said, yes, let's cut it. <laughs> so he liked it more philosophically than in practice. Yeah, I think he totally understood. I mean, yeah. and, you know, we would have been, I, I always feel like shoot it, shoot it. And then you'll really be able to, because you never know. Sometimes yeah. you get into the room, in the editing room and you go, oh, that actually yeah. was brilliant. And thank God we have it. Yeah. And, or it's um, like a, it's a counterbeat. It's unexpected. Yeah. It goes against it. I, just one thing that I think is particularly brilliant. And, you know, I, I'm mentioning it because we're, we're closing up today's podcast and it's kind of, it's the closing up of episode two is Michelle Hurd is rapping. Oh. Like, I'm just, I like, look, I'm, I'm a married man with kids, but I'm in love. <laughs> because, because I'm in love because I, I, I think that, I, one of the things that is so poignant already for this for me, and I just want to ask all three of you before we close out about something else, but one thing that's so poignant for me is the sense of failure and loss. Failure yeah. and loss is a hard thing to do, right? Yeah. We see many shows where it's like, oh, it starts out, the detective was once a big wig, and now he's living in a one, you know, he's living in a walk-up, and, and the, the pipes don't work, et cetera, et cetera. But you know it's going to be cool, right? Mm-hmm. You know he's the genius, right? Sure. He's going to Columbo this stuff, right? Where we start here is is a sad person who is... It's like if they if they had it's kind of like honestly I, maybe people won't see this but it reminds me of Colin Powell 
because I think, you know wow. what? At I one point, Colin Powell was the king of America. And yeah. like to the point where Bill Clinton almost thought about not running for re-election in 1996 because there was talk General Powell would run. And then he got loaded with the shittiest job in the world and made to go in front of the United Nations and blew all his credibility, mm. you know? And you know that's why General Powell never really joined the Obama administration. You know that's why he never really speaks out. Like, he just, because he knows that there's that weakness. And I feel like that with, with Jean-Luc here. It's like, you were the man and it just went wrong. Different reasons, clearly, but it just went wrong. And and Rafi to me is that, is that because Rafi is she was always there with him, and now she's just like I can't touch you. Like I, you just you're toxic to me. Like you betrayed me, you betrayed us. I don't want to be here. And you see that Patrick goes to he's like you're going to come and join me, and she's like I don't think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the biggest betrayal there was the giving up. Right. The thing you see in Starfleet officers over and over again is. You just, you don't give up. You fight until the fight is done. And you, and talking about the perfection of it all and the utopia of it all, like you tend to, you tend to see them as these sort of bigger than life, perfect characters. Um, but if you think about it over time, the stuff they go through has to take a toll. And what's so great about Rafi is that we are acknowledging that now, you know, everything isn't perfect at the top of the next episode. This is somebody who was broken by not only what she had to endure, but the fact that the person she was anchored to that was helping her get through all of that um, fell. Yeah, he took his toys and went home. He did. You know, he did. And that 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 really undercuts. Well, and faith. for him, it made sense, right? Like right. he had to honor what, and then he was lost and didn't know what to begin to right. do with that. And for her, she just sort of she had this mechanism of numbing her pain, and she dove in. And I love when she says, "You know, it would have been nice for you just to have said hi." Mm-hmm. Like, what a thing to to realize that after what happened he never came by to speak to her never to but see to me to see that that speaks to the truth of it though right it's like we all forget he's a military but he's a military man Mm. right and it's like it's it's like that line they use in succession that they've kind of lifted from the murdochs which is condemn and move on you know Mm. and he's like mission mission over mm-hmm. failed success, but, but like it's that's his person. It's the things that we think are glorious about Picard. And you guys, of course, are much in, in, inside this than I am. But the things we think are glorious about him are also the things. It's like he sh- can shed you. You're you you are you are you are an adjunct to him. You are he is he is this. Now he's admiral. Now he's this. I, I mean, I think he's a Shakespearean character. It's not an accident that he always quoted Shakespeare. And I agree with you that. He's a military man, and once the mission's over, you move on. But I think that the the intention was always that he was carrying a lot of shame, and his pride prohibited him from being able to express it in a way that maintained the connection with that character, with Rafi. And when he goes to her, I mean, I think what's so beautiful about the two of them, actors, the, the great ones, they show you their heart the second they show up on screen. And that's why you want to watch them. And that's why you fall in love with them. And Michelle and Patrick are very open-hearted people. And you can tell. And in that scene, they're both playing. You know, there's, a, there's another moment, too, where, as, as Kirsten's saying, when, when she, when she or, sorry, when Honolulu was saying, when she interrupts and she says, because I was not doing good, JL. And he, he's about to speak, and she interrupts him with that line. And he kind of puts his head down. He's four years old in that moment, yeah. you know, and he's really, it's, it's so touching to see the, I know I did wrong. I know I should have come back. I know I let you down. And I know that you suffered because of my pride. When I quit, they fired you. 
And that's, and he's, he is carrying the weight of that. And you feel it. You feel it in that scene and you feel the connection in that scene. The other thing that kind of occurs to me is in some ways that, you know, I never really thought of the season as a Rocky story, but in, it kind of is, right? You have to start Rocky really low. <laughs> you have so to, clever lane. Like <laughs> Limbo. Mr. T is definitely coming Mr. T's back. on the way. That would make me yeah. so happy. Chicago. Um, yeah. Uh, I pity the Federation. But, but, I, but you know, it, you, dramatically, right, it's so much more interesting to start him you have to start him at the bottom. Logan starts at the bottom. There have been a lot of Logan references for a reason. You know, that's not exactly a Rocky story. And I wouldn't, it's actually too linear and binary to say that the season's a Rocky story because it's not really. It, you'll see it's not. But if we started him at the top, where would we go? Exactly. So I want to ask as we close out for today, where are we at right now in the season in terms of where you guys are you feeling like, yeah. I mean, clearly, this very, very well-produced series. So, I mean, I don't think you guys are like, yeah, we're winging it. But, like, <laughs> um, but where are you feeling like, okay, like, you know, last week people watched it. We got a sense, this and that. Where are you feeling the uh, – uh, uh, is it landing? Is it, where, is it where it needs to be right now? Is it where you guys feel it want to be? End of uh, uh, episode two? I've been to now enough, uh, you know, press days and to know the difference – between, I think I know the difference between when somebody is telling me that they liked it and then they didn't, and when they did. And I, I think that the where where it's reflected is in how emotional people are about it. Um, somebody said something really interesting. We just got back from Germany, and somebody said it was such an emotional experience for me because when I saw him older, I realized that I was older, That's and that. That means that that you've grown up with that character. He's aged, you've aged, you've watched that happen. He's a marker of time in your life. And that that's a rare thing. You don't get to have that on a television show or in a movie very often. So I think, you know, knock on wood, I think people are liking it. I, I feel that the reactions are genuine. We'll know in 24 hours. <laughs> but um, I, I feel the warmth and the gratitude just to be able to see him again. I don't know. I, there have been so many moments in this journey where I probably should have panicked, like felt like this is all, this is never going to happen. We're just never going to be able to make this go. And I never have. Underneath it all from almost the very beginning was this deep and abiding certainty that this was right this is a story that we want to tell, and this is the time to tell it. And Patrick is the perfect person to tell it with. And that no matter how hard it got, it was actually going to happen. And it was going to be good. And nothing that I've experienced in the last week has led me to believe otherwise. Yeah, I, I feel like we're in a great place. The audience has now... They've seen who he is now. They um, have now gone with him to meet Dodge, to feel the loss of Dodge, to feel the need to find out who this twin is. They've got to meet her, see this life. To, you know, I feel like we're in a great place. We want to find out more about what's happening on this cube. Why are they here? How did this come to be? It's in a good spot where you you now have been reacquainted with your family member that you haven't seen in 20 years and now it's time for us to go off on our adventure together. I love how uh you know the the heroic nature 
of, of Jean-Luc, but also the fact that, I mean, this is a guy that's lived two lifetimes. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that he did feel like he looked like a four-year-old when he bowed his head because he was ashamed because he realized not only did he not call her, it didn't even occur to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the real thing is that like, he's such a, a man of ideas and principles that it's not about, he forgot about the people. Yeah, level, that's right. You know? um, the fact that there, there was all that range. And if you look at the way Star Trek came back in 1979, uh, you know, when they brought everybody back and everybody was trying to look so young than, than, they, than they were. Not so much. And, and the difference between now and like, this is, this is the, this is the captain that we, he's not the captain, but he's the captain that we want at this time. And I, I think it's pretty fascinating. It's so much more interesting to me that he's a captain without a, without an army. Yeah. You know, it's much, how could he possibly learn the lessons of humility and the consequences of his choices with with with, with all that cushiness behind him. My kingdom you know? for a ship. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I was, Sullivan's travels just came to mind, you know, like yeah. obviously a little different because he, he sort of goes out to pretend that he's one of the people at the beginning, but yeah. it isn't until he actually leaves the safety and comfort of his world that he's realizes, oh, right, this is what, this is who people are. Yeah. I've been totally shielded from them for so long. Yeah, and he's finally surrounded by people like Raffi who will call him on everything that he does. You look back at his previous relationships, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. He was the captain and whatever he did went. And that's not the way it goes anymore. It's like yeah. Unforgiven. With yeah. a I mean, <laughs> we talked about Unforgiven a lot. Really? <laughs> For sure. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, the great one of the all-time great westerns, but Unforgiven is also the sum total of Clint Eastwood's career, right? right? You wouldn't have... You, would, you wouldn't have felt what you felt if he hadn't been Josie Wales and everybody else that he ever yeah. played and Dirty Harry, you know, yeah, across everybody. the board. So seeing him in that position, unable to fire correctly, and then, you know, getting to that final scene when he walks into the bar and becomes that guy again. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit, that's the Clint Eastwood that I remember. You know, right. it's not only satisfying, but it's also kind of heartbreaking because he has to break a code to do it. That's right. Know? Yeah. Well, that about does it for our visit to Federation space today. Yes. And so, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, Star Trek Picard is a 10 episode first season. It, of course, has been renewed. So hopefully we're going to be renewed, too. We'll be doing a podcast for each and every episode separately every week at 2 p.m. Pacific time after the show drops every Thursday. So we hope you join us and we hope uh, we'll put it this way. There's a lot more mysteries to be told about what's happening in the world of Jean-Luc. Absolutely. <laughs>